You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Mums are often told to prioritise self-care, but it can be hard to do. Adele Marie knows this better than anyone. Her son, Zayden, was born with a complicated health condition, which means weekly hospital visits. Being the main carer for a child with special needs can be relentless. And yet, for Adele, self-care is non-negotiable. Hi, Adele. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Good, thank you. Let's go back to the beginning. Tell me about your pregnancy with Zayden and his birth. Um, My pregnancy with Zayden was actually very unremarkable. And his (laughs) birth was very much the same. It was an hour and a half birth. Everything that, was that fine. sounds quick to me. <laughs> it was very quick. Um, his brother was three hours, so I was kind of expecting something along that. Everything was fine after birth, and I went home, went about everything that you would do with a newborn. And then after about three weeks, I started to notice that things were a little bit different from my first son. In what ways were they different? Um, To start with, Zayden's eyes had this tiny little shake in them that only I could notice. And I think most people probably thought I was just a rather sleep deprived mother. And I started taking him back to doctors because he wasn't eating very well. He wasn't gaining weight. Um, And then as times went on, you had all those beautiful little milestone lists. Zayden didn't tick off any of those milestones. Then doctor after doctor, and we finally found a doctor who was willing to sit down and listen to it all. And that's where we started going down the rabbit hole of what was going on. That sounds like, it sounds very frustrating to know that there was something wrong with your baby, but it sounds like it took quite a while to find someone who could address what was worrying you. Is is that how it felt at the time? It did, actually. I saw quite a lot of doctors and they tend to tended to think I was a mother who was over anxious it actually in the end took taking my mother into the doctor with me and my mother has quite a few children um so a doctor how many children does she have there's a lot I've got four brothers and four sisters (laughs) so (laughs) after going in with her and a list of things that I just didn't feel right about and this doctor started to take it very seriously and that's when everything began. And how old was he at that point? He was only two and a half months old. Two and a half months, it's very vulnerable but it's also, um, like you said, something that you'd be watching is weight gain and I can imagine not knowing what was wrong, why he wasn't gaining weight would have been really worrying to you. Um, How long did it take at that point to find out what was going on? I flew back. He was born overseas, actually, so that's where healthcare was also a major issue. So I flew back to Australia when he was two months and three weeks old on the advice of this doctor who just told us to get home. Um, I took him to the Queensland Children's Hospital and we underwent investigations there as to why he wasn't feeding. Um, It took quite a while to try and work out what was going on. It was clear to the doctors there that there was something not quite right, but the feeding difficulties we went through, whether it was a problem breastfeeding or whether it was the food that he was being given, was it an allergy in my milk? 
we tried everything to eventually the last resort was putting in a nasal gastric tube. So Zayden was fed through a tube that went down his nose into his stomach. And once that tube was inserted, Zayden put on a kilo in a week. Wow. So, yes, which was huge considering he hadn't put on weight <laughs> since birth. How do you deal with all of that when you've also got another child at home? It was very tricky. It took a village to try and keep my elder son happy and engaged in his community and what he was doing. So I'm very, very fortunate. He's a very understanding child and taking him along on the process and letting him know what was happening and understanding his brother's condition helped a lot. And then asking for help when needed and really calling out and saying we needed someone to go do something with him, distract him, take him to the beach, um, make him feel that he wasn't left behind in the process. So once um, they had the nasal tube delivering food, were they able to work out what was going on or was it still more time after that? This was one of the things that shocked me the most. I assumed when you had a child who was sick, you went to the doctors and you got an answer. Little did I know that after all the investigations happened, there were no answers. And we were left in a family meeting being told that we didn't know. And there are simply so many rare diseases in the world that we know nothing about. And that perhaps in a few years, technology and science might catch up and we may find out, but to also be prepared to never know. So at that stage, he was very small. So um, were they at least able to identify where he needed support or where he needed help in order to thrive? At that stage, the main focus was on feeding him. And then I think I still had in my mind at that time that if we were able to feed him, he would catch up as all the mums want to catch up to those milestones. It was only going on later on, maybe when he was six months old and he started to have seizures that I really realised that this was a much bigger thing than just a feeding problem. Zayden then went on to, he's epileptic, he um, is visually impaired, he is completely non-mobile, still fed through a tube. He also has a really horrendous condition that's called dystonia, which these all later developed, everything developed quite quickly over the preceding two and a half years. Um, And dystonia is a condition where your muscles contract so badly that in Zayden's case, it had fractured both of his legs from his own muscle condition. It was, it's a relentless, awful condition that very few people know about or even to start with, the doctors didn't know about this condition. Now, I can be sure the whole of Queensland Children's Hospital knows all about dystonia. Um, Zayden was in hospital for six months at that stage trying to battle the dystonia and the doctors tried everything they possibly could until there was nothing left to do but go in for experimental brain surgery. Oh, God. And how old was he then? He was, this was, uh, he was three. So he was the youngest in Australia to ever have this surgery, um, second youngest in the world, and it was really just a shot in the dark and hoping for the best. And we were very fortunate with the surgery. After six months of incredible pain, Zayden woke up without the pain. So the surgery corrected the dystonia? It did. We haven't seen, we've seen a little bit of dystonia since the surgery last year. It didn't correct a lot of the other problems, which was a hope that maybe it would, but it definitely helped 
I mean, his pain was at a scale of the highest scale was 10 and that's where he was at. And he was able to leave hospital a month after the surgery and he got back to normal life for a little while. Unfortunately, since then, he started to deteriorate again. It's a very complex condition and we tend to fix one thing and another thing breaks after that. And it is part of that because there is no diagnosis in terms of an overall condition? After being in Australia and not being able to find a diagnosis, I contacted a doctor in America, in Boston, and organised to fly over to meet him on the condition that I knew he may not have an answer to, but he specialised in movement disorders and Zayden had a movement disorder. So I just felt compelled to meet him. So we took him there. It would have been one. And by the time he was two and a half, they did find a diagnosis. And so it was two and a half years of searching and they searched through his all his genes by hand trying to find it. And he has a rare genetic mutation that we know about 30 children in the world have now. Oh, my God. Yes. That's, that's insane. I've, you've just managed in um, less than 10 minutes to tell so many heartbreaking stories, both for yourself as a mother particularly, but also for Zayden in terms of the pain he's been through as such a small child. Um, how, do, how have you coped through all of that? How have you managed all of that extraordinary pain? Um, to start with, I didn't. <laughs> to start with, it was really, really hard to watch a child suffer so badly and to know that there's nothing you can do about it. It's also really tough that Zayden, whilst physically his development's only around that of a six-month-old, but his mind and his emotional state is, um, whilst delayed, he can understand a lot of language, he can understand pain, he can understand emotions. Um, So watching him without being able to help him in any way through this was really difficult and that's what led me on the journey of self-care and really looking at I had to look after myself if I was going to be able to look after not only him but my other son as well. I guess that's one of the things that nobody really thinks about. You finish in the trauma room in the emergency and you get in the car to pick up the other child from school and they expect their mother to be sitting there and ready to listen to their day. So that's where I did delve into a lot of things that I never imagined that I ever would. Um, Meditation, exercise has been the biggest thing of all, and I was never, ever an exerciser. Um, It just became my saviour, really, that it got me through each day. I start the day exercising. I feel like I have some control in the situation. Meditation, mindfulness, um, really looking at my nutrition, really looking at things to help my mental health. Um, Anxiety obviously got really bad throughout all of this, Um, a lot of trauma. Um, There was a lot to be anxious about, really. So looking at things like cutting out caffeine from my diet, anything that could help, I would do it to try and get through the day. People and connection and really trying to find people who could walk this journey with me and quite often that wasn't the people who started the journey and I found people in the most unexpected spaces the mothers that I've met in hospital and still remain very good friends with have helped me in this journey the people I've met in waiting rooms 
the nurses have played a big role in our life, as have the doctors, um, and just really looking after myself so I can be there for them. And even sometimes that means stepping away. Sometimes it is too much. It's for a mother to listen to their child scream for days on end. It's just not possible. And so just taking that step back and taking a break and letting someone else step in and knowing they can't do it as well as you, but just accepting that, you know, nothing's going to fix it and that if I'm broken, then I can't help them at all. So really coming to those realisations. And it wasn't that simple. It was years and years of self-discovery and falling in a heap and just being determined to get back up again. And has counselling played any role in that or is it mostly what you have done yourself? Um, So I'm a big advocate for when you need help, go and ask for help. It's the hardest thing to do. I think calling my GP who he was probably waiting for it for a long time. Um, as I, Every time I went in there, I had my armour on of I'm fantastic and I'm fine and I can do this. Calling him and asking for help, was it was hard. So I've seen a psychologist over the years on and off. Um, what I've found to be the most beneficial for me is um, we do art therapy. At, Zayden goes to a children's hospice, which is Queensland's only children's hospice for children with life-limiting conditions. And we do art therapy there and it's group art therapy. And that's really helped me with connecting with other parents, walking the same journey. Um, I think the art therapy also helps to break down my walls a little bit. Whereas I found often in the psych- when I went into the psychologist, I could be there on a good day and tell her all the great things. <laughs> Whereas in the art therapy, through the process, you are broken down a little bit and the emotions, are, they come out a little bit more and I think it really helps with that. Writing has also been a really good thing that's come from the psychologist has put in some amazing things for me to do with writing and mindfulness and um, that's all really helped in the process. So how did all of this become something you felt you could help other others with I mean it it sounds like you've worked really hard to be in a strong place but it also sounds like every day is going to require effort from you on a number of levels when did you get to the point where you thought actually you know what I am going to use this I'm going to become a body and mind coach and I'm going to help other people like how did that happen I think it's It's also about helping myself. So before Zayden, I had a really good career as a teacher in a wonderful school. I lost my career overnight. And so there was also that sense of my own purpose that I was lost for quite some time because even my mail is addressed to Zayden's mother. So it got to the point where it really, I sat there and thought about what can I actually do? given our situation and that's where I started looking at things that if I couldn't teach anymore um, what sort of skills did I have Um, and that's where I did start looking at my own journey and thinking oh well I actually have learned quite a bit throughout this journey all of these skills were also things that I could go on to study remotely which worked for our situation again the studying gave me some purpose as well And then ultimately, 
the connection that I get from the women I work with, for both of us, for all of us, it's amazing. I have sculpted the business to work around my reality um, and that is that it's only a few hours a week in the morning before the kids wake up. So it was being really realistic about what I could possibly do. When I take on clients, I only take on five clients, which means five hours face-to-face time a week because I can't overextend to people when I know my life is (laughs) so full (laughs) on most days. Do you have a partner that's supporting you along this time? Yes, yes, I do. And he's very supportive of everything that I do. And it's about working between him and both of our families and trying to make sure that I get one day a week to do the things that I like doing. And and for me, that's, that's not shopping or going getting my nails done. It is about connecting with people and working with people and helping people grow and um, helping myself grow through the process of it. I'm an outsider looking in and I can see that obviously your family has gone through so much heartache is still going through some so much heartache how do you find those moments of joy amongst that kind of pain this is one thing I've always been amazed at with Zayden as this incredible little soul that he is not only myself but he's amazed the world around him the medical world is stunned we've almost lost him quite a few times he's been through moments where we've had the priest standing at the end of the bed and thinking oh is this it and he comes out of these moments and he smiles it's the first thing he does is smile and just I'm blown away by the way that he just keeps on getting up and just keeps on going and I think that's what made me realize that you know I stopped talking about good days and bad days Because in our life, there is really no such thing as a good day. There is not a day without a seizure. There is not a day without choking or a hospital or some sort of life-threatening incident. But there are good moments. And in every day, there are good moments. And so I think that's what we to start focusing on the moments. My elder son, he is such a beautiful, beautiful soul. And he's silly and he's funny. And allowing those that silliness to exist in a space of such pain. I mean, if I look back at two Christmases ago on Christmas Eve, Satan got really bad and he was he was already in hospital for months on end, but he got so bad on Christmas Eve that they came to me and they, they said to me that we're gonna have to move him to the ICU tonight. They said to me, What can we do to make this a little bit easier? And just even being asked that by a nurse brought some joy back to the situation that someone's here to help us. And I said, we need the Christmas tree. And I said, if we could please just have a window. So we got down to the ICU and the Christmas tree was waiting there with a window overlooking the river. And just really being grateful for those little things that are there. It helps get you through what's going to happen. Um, we ended up having a beautiful Christmas day sitting on the floor of the ICU. We had a cardboard box that my son's presents were in that were delivered by the foundation and he wanted salsa and chips and he reflects on that day as one of the nicest Christmases he's had. Well, that sounds like the perfect place to end our chat. Adele, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. It was lovely talking to you.
That's Adele Marie. She's a body and mind coach at Reachable. We'll put links in the notes of this episode to where you can find out more about her and what she does. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time. Thank you.